Hello and welcome to Managing IP's IP Lounge, a monthly podcast that reviews the biggest stories in IP and previews what's on the horizon. I'm Ed Conlon, Editor-in-Chief at Managing IP, and I'm delighted to be joined today by three colleagues, Rani Mehta, our senior reporter based in the US. Welcome, Rani. Hi, Ed. Thank you. We have Sakanya Saka, our senior reporter in Asia. Good to see you, Sakanya. Good to see you too, Ed. And last but not least, Rory O'Neill, senior reporter based in London. How are you, Rory? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. I hear it's been a busy day for you reporting on standard essential patents, which is, I think, where we'll start today's podcast. Uh, there's been been a lot going on in that world recently. Um, I know you've been at the forefront of it. So do you want to just give us a quick introduction into what's happened today and some of the wider issues? Yeah, so today's been busy. So today we had um, a day later than planned and uh, the European Commission's announcement on standard central patent reform. Uh, they didn't make the World IP Day deadline, they set for themselves. Uh, but we had, um, yeah, I was listening to the press conference this morning, and obviously we've had leaked versions of this uh, proposal going around for a few weeks. And so the question is, how closely does it track onto what we were expecting? And uh, a lot of the key stuff is there. It's a, it's a pretty major reform. So um, the UIPO is going to be, as expected, the new uh, center with the SEP universe in Europe. Uh, but um, there will be like some, there are some important changes and it looks like the commission has been under a lot of pressure to kind of polish the detail and uh, reassure SEP owners mainly. Um, I think that this system won't put them at a huge disadvantage. Um, so the, the commission is going to be, uh, they want the EU IPO to set global friend rights um, they've clarified that it's not just for European patents. And uh, yeah, that's really significant uh, because the Commission wants to establish a global friend venue in Europe. Um, so you would imagine that um, other jurisdictions might look at that and think about how to respond, China in particular. So yeah, that's, uh, that, that's the big news really. And um, the other kind of major concession, if you want to call it that, is some sectors are going to be exempt if the commission thinks the fan licensing system is already working well. Uh, so obviously, which sectors will they be? And you would imagine that um, if SCP owners want to avoid some of the obligations uh, that this regulation would put on them, then they would be making a lot of noise as to why the SCP system is already working well in their particular patch. So yeah. Uh, a lot, lot of questions still ready that, that are going to need answering. And um, uh, I think this is going to go on for another couple of years at least. So we might be having a lot more chats like this one. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, very much a hot topic, isn't it? Um, I think one of the criticisms from the SEP owner industry um, is really that the EU IPO doesn't have any experience in patents and, you know, why sort of try and... Uh, fix, which isn't really a, a broken system, although obviously some people would say it is broken, and that's why we're we're where we are. But they, you know, they seem to be pushing back a lot um, on on the point about expertise. Um, but you know, in your interview today with Christian Archambault, which I think was his first since uh, the non, yeah. you know, the non-renewal of his contract, he didn't seem too worried about it. I mean, he possibly wouldn't be for a number of reasons, but he didn't seem too concerned. Um, do you think that it's possible that, that you know they could build up the expertise in a fairly short space of time? 
Uh, a short space of time? I don't know. I mean, but listen, I mean, like, I think the point he made, which is a fair one, is that, you know, the, this expertise is kind of dispersed throughout the national offices. Um, and they're going to basically pull it together. And, you know, if you want to set up any, if you want to assign anybody the responsibility for carrying out these essentiality checks and determining friend rates, you're going to have to get the expertise in. Um, courts do that to, to, to a certain extent as well when they hear these cases. So he's saying the expertise is out there and we're going to we're gonna hire it in um, as and when we need it. Um, it's not a case of recruiting jobs with patent examiners. It's not going to be it's not going to be a new EPO type operation, right? So um, I think that's fair enough. I mean, of all the criticism, criticisms that have been made, I did think, you know, whoever does this, you're going to have to develop the expertise and it will take some time and it may not be perfect at the start. Um, but yeah, you can build up the expertise over time. Um, there's a lot of other big issues with it, um, with the regulation that, you know, could do with answering. But the expertise can be can be got, I think. No, absolutely. Well, I know the story's still fresh uh, today, so we'll take some time to digest it properly, and maybe next time we can discuss it in more detail. But I, kn- I know there's also been some um, SEP FRAN developments in India recently. Um, so, Sukanya, so I don't know if you want to introduce the topic and just um, talk through some of the main issues. Um, sure, it. thank you. Uh... So it's probably uh, not as interesting as what's been happening in Europe, but um, I think we have had some noteworthy movement in India, um, at least in the litigation space. Uh, so for a bit of a recap, uh, Nokia was always one of the biggest uh, battles that's going on in India at the moment. Uh, Nokia uh, had pressed Oppo to pay interim security deposit in India during the pendency of the litigation uh, some time back before the Delhi High Court, but the Delhi High Court, I think, last year denied uh, to actually, you know, grant an order in favor of Nokia, and Nokia has appealed it. Um, In the meantime, uh, in a different case filed by Ericsson, the appellate bench of the Delhi High Court took a very, uh, you know, SAP owner-friendly view last month, late last month, and kind of said that SAP owners should be entitled to interim reliefs in India, including security deposits and royalties and even interim injunctions. Now, the same appellate bench is set to actually come out with a judgment in the Nokia versus Oppo uh, security uh, deposit matter in the next few weeks. So it should be interesting to see what happens. Also, um, Nokia's arguments for interim injunction against Oppo is also set to conclude early next month. And that would be interesting to see as well, because um, at the moment, at least to my knowledge, not a lot of countries worldwide grant reliefs to SAP owners at the interim level. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's all that's been happening in India, and it's a space to watch out. Okay, great. Thanks, Akanya. Um Moving on to the US, I mean, it's not necessarily a FRAN topic, or it's, it's not a FRAN topic really at all, but um, one of the big issues at the moment is discretionary denials at the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, which is part of the USPTO. Um, so, Rani, do you want to tell us what's been going on there and just sort of fill us in with the details? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the USPTO just issued an advance notice of proposed rulemaking related to discretionary denial. So when they can deny a PTAP petition based on procedural issues or based on issues other than just, you know, the merits of the case. So that was there's a lot in this document. Uh, very long. Definitely recommend reading through it if the PTAP is at all relevant to your practice. Um, all of this is subject to change and we have no idea, you know, what they're going to move forward with. But there is some interesting uh, stuff in there. Um, one of those proposals is to create different categories, kind of depending on different factors, but including like who the patent owner is, who the petitioner is. So for example, they're proposing that if you're a for-profit entity that, uh, you know, doesn't really have a connection otherwise to the technology, that they might uh, discretion, they could discretionarily deny these petitions unless there's some sort of compelling merits, which is a higher standard than their normal one. And that would really uh, could really affect unified patents if that were to go to, into effect, uh, which is and unified patents is a pretty well known organization that seeks to deter non-practicing entity litigation by filing proceedings. There's also a proposal to like, uh, you know, if you're a micro entity uh, and someone files a petition against you to discretionarily deny those petitions, unless there's some sort of compelling merits again. There's a lot in here and there are so many uh, different proposals uh, that, uh, yeah, again, hard to figure out like what exactly uh, is going to happen going forward, but it's uh, really a hot topic if you're interested in, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's very interesting if you're interested in the PTAB. Yeah, and I mean, that won't just apply to people in the US. I'm sure people outside as well will be interested in what's going on there. So thanks for the update. Um, I think, you know, obviously this podcast is all about looking back on the month but looking ahead and I think one of the big themes we're seeing at the moment is is around litigation obviously that's an ongoing issue but I think there have been some big talking points recently I think in China in particular Sakanya you've been following some uh, litigation trends and statistics in China I know you're based in India but your beat does cover the the wide jurisdiction of Asia Pacific so do you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on in China? Oh, sure thanks um so yeah, the Supreme People's Court of China came out with this annual report this month, um, which revealed some very interesting data and trends. Uh, what I particularly thought was noteworthy, and I also wrote about it, um, was basically how overburdened the judges at the Supreme People's Court are. So basically, um, according to the data, it seems like uh, one judge in the court have had uh, less than three days to adjudicate one case over the past year. And it's the highest appellate court for trade secrets, uh, patterns, utility models. So, uh, you know, that's not what stakeholders really expect. Like, you know, they would expect judges to have more time to pay attention to each, each of their cases, at least at the uh, appellate stage. And uh, then the reversal rate of the court uh, was also very low at around uh, 13% which uh, some people think, uh, at least practitioners who I spoke to, uh, think that it means the judges might be confirming first instance decisions in many cases because they simply don't have the time to look through evidence in detail. So uh, that's a bit of a concerning trend in China when it comes to patents and you know trade secrets and utility model cases. And uh, well, I mean, practitioners have been complaining about delays at the SPC for a very long time and the 
data proves that the court needs to do you know something to fix the problem soon enough yeah okay well as i say litigation has been a big hot topic and obviously it's very all-encompassing so one of the other things to mention is that there there are a few well there have been a couple of high profile disputes recently one in the uk which involved uh german supermarket Lidl and british supermarket tesco which uh, is is the latest in a long line of sort of supermarket wars and um Lidl came out of that one probably on top um wasn't a sort of full win let's say but they did probably uh, win that case which is quite interesting and that was all to do with uh, trademark copyright and passing off and then I think probably the most interesting one which is going on right now in fact in New York is is a case involving Ed Sheeran which isn't the first time actually he's been sued for copyright infringement uh, he's alleged to have copied uh, Marvin Gaye's song Let's Get It On and the um, as I say, the trial's going on at the moment, so I think that'll be one to watch. Um, just wondering, in terms of the rest of the panel, Rani, you're obviously based in New York, where the trial's going on at the moment. Has it made the national headlines, would you say? Yeah, it has. I mean, for an IP case especially. I mean, yeah, the mainstream, you know, uh, general media outlets are yeah, definitely talking about it. Yeah. I mean, we should say that last time around he did win. He was cleared of any infringement. That was in the UK about a year ago, in fact. But there is another case, and it's um, yeah, I'm sure it's going to generate lots of headlines when there's a a judgment. Um, Rory, as as an outsider, let's say someone who's uh, I don't know, not 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 based in the US and possibly not a fan of Ed Sheeran, what do you uh, what do you make of this? I'm not necessarily an Ed Sheeran fan. I am a Marvin Gaye fan, so that's my kind of hook into this. But I think it is it is interesting, actually. I, I, I find these music opera cases interesting. And Ed Sheeran, he has actually said, like, some substantive things about music copyright. And he's really kind of... I don't think he's wanted to be sued for infringement either of these times, but he's really gotten into it. He's 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 really had a go at sort of. I mean, I was reading a report of um, the trial, and he was he was getting to a bit of a back and forth um, during cross examination, and he's he's standing his ground. So it, it's interesting to follow. Um, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious to see um, what happens. I'll be following it. Yeah, definitely. I I saw the same back and forth. I think. Um... Yeah, he, you're right. He, he's kind of not one to back down, is he? And um, definitely taking it seriously. So it, it's always so hard to to sort of decipher from these reports and these trials until there's a judgment. Really, what the what the outcome's going to be? I think. Um, obviously, you said there, Rory, you're a Marvin Gaye fan. So, what's your favourite song? Um, got to give it up, part two, which was, if I remember, um, involved in the copyright infringement case. Um, with his estate against Robin Thicke a few years ago. Um, I thought I was, Rani, I don't know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but is this one of those US cases where they like have a jury um, to decide these kind of things? You know, uh, yeah, I have to actually look up those uh, details. I forget if they're doing it by, yeah. I mean, typically speaking, as you know, long, the parties would have the right to a trial by jury in this. Uh, yeah. So they'd, uh, you know, they could opt out and have both opt out and wanted a bench trial or have the judge decide that they could, but they would have the right to a trial by jury. I'd have to, I do have to look up whether they've opted uh, into this for this case, though. Yeah, I think I'd have to recuse myself. I don't know. 
<laughs> well, actually, you, you are right. There is a jury in this case. I think that's actually one of the really interesting elements, isn't it? Because in the UK, I don't think there would have been a jury. Obviously, we don't have juries and IP trials. So I'm fairly sure in the case a year ago, it would have just been a judge making the decision. But this time around, seven-person jury. So do we think that could potentially make life harder or more more easy for Ed Sheeran? What do you think? <sighs> Yeah, kind of. I mean, ideally, the lawyers, you know, do as much diligence as possible to try to get people who will come to a fair opinion either way. But I mean, yeah, I guess if he's has a lot of fans, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe that does work in his favor. It's a, it's, a, it's hard to tell how these things play out. Yeah, well, we'll keep uh, keep our eyes peeled on that one. Um, sure, there are plenty more trials and cases going on at the moment, but obviously we don't have time to discuss everything. Um, but I think while we are on the topic of the US, I think there's a really interesting and quite sensitive issue at the moment in, in the IP world, actually, which is around Pauline Newman, who's a judge at the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit based in Washington, D.C. And recently, in what I thought was seemed to be a very unusual move um, and also surprising, was that the chief judge at the court, Kimberly Moore, um, has filed an order and seems to be investigating whether or not Pauline Newman who's 95 now and has been I think on the court for about 40 years you know there's this investigation into whether or not she's deemed to be fit to continue in her role because there are a number of different allegations around how long it takes her to issue opinions and vote on other judges opinions and even some allegations around and it's it's all anecdotal to be fair, but some allegations around um, her cognitive abilities and so on. Um, so it's, it is a very sensitive issue, but it's also a very important issue as well, I think, and speaks to a wider debate around judges and retirement ages. And um, I mean, Rani, just, just initially, is, you've covered this story a lot. What are your first impressions of, I don't know, of the case in general, really? Yeah, it's so hard to say because, you know, I'm hesitant to weigh in too much on the merits of either side because I mean Pauline Newman you know has you know served for so long and people love her I was you know speaking to people about her and you know they you know really respect her to sense they respect all this institutional knowledge that she has and she's brought a lot to the IP world and so you know you uh you know I don't, I don't want to jump in and like uh say you know uh, anything too much against her but also you know judge Moore. i think it's important to be careful about you, you know uh i mean she's also you know a respected member of the you know ip community and also you know is, is chief judge and so uh, assuming either either way that oh you know newman must uh step down now or oh like Moore is clearly wrong like i i wouldn't want to make you know, assumptions either way at this point. I think it's unfortunate because I think uh, this isn't obviously an I, you know, I, I ideal way to, you know, for someone who is so respected to uh, end her career if this is if this is the end. Uh, but I mean, I guess I'm kind of I so cliche, but waiting and seeing, you know, I think we'll have to see what else comes out of this as, you know, more for facts emerge. Uh, and, you know, it's, Certainly, you know, fair to ask questions, and uh, but you know, you know, also try to respect both parties. I think, I think that's, I think that's where I am. It's a really difficult issue, I think, because if you look at uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away a few years ago now, she was still on the Supreme Court, I think, well into her 80s, uh, albeit 
10 years or so younger than Pauline Newman is now, but it, it's not unusual for very elderly um, judges to still be working, I suppose, at the highest level. Um, but then I suppose some people would say that there, you know, there should be a retirement age for judges that there is in the UK, for example, and in India as well. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I don't support a retirement age, and at least the people I spoke to uh, didn't uh, really support it either because, um, you know, it does kind of seem like that if you are, you know, when people have different capabilities at different ages. So if you're able to, you know, be a judge at 100, you know, then like, you know, you know, why not? I mean, there, there's the issue of term limits too, which is kind of a little separate, like should they be lifetime appointments? But I think in terms of making it based on age, I don't think that's, you know, quite the right move since it is really uh, different for everyone but yeah yeah absolutely yeah for sure I mean as I was saying in, in India uh, Sakanya you're based there and previously you're a lawyer just wondering I mean it's it seems like India's taken the similar kind of line to the UK which is that it needs to be an, a retirement age I forget the exact retirement age now but it's, I think it's in 60s or possibly 70s um, just wondering what your take on the issue is so, uh, thanks, Ed. Uh, yeah, I mean, in India, we do have retirement age for judges, and I understand the logic behind it. But, uh, well, again, the more number of years of experience a judge has, I believe the more they are going to be able to, you know, give out well-reasoned decisions. Uh, and, you know, in, in the context of this particular debate, I think we also must keep in mind that a lot of qualified people across you know different professions get pushed around the corner because uh, or even discredited because of ageism or their sex and here we are talking about a female judge so we have to you know keep that in mind and I'm, I'm not saying that you know that the probe here or anything here is unfair at all i just want it to be you know uh, decided on facts and merits not biases or perceptions as simple as that yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um Rory, what's your take on it? I know you've also covered this story yourself. Do you have any thoughts in addition? Um, look, I mean, I think if it were me, I'd rather retire. I, I'd take a very French perspective on retirement. But, I mean, look, I mean, the thing is, it, one, when I was reading through one of the Fed one of the federal circuit's orders, I mean, that sort of gives a clue as to why she's so keen to stay on. And, I mean... So I've just got it here. I mean, it says she refused to consider senior status, uh, Judge Newman, that is, saying that she was the only person who cared about the patent system and innovation policy. And it's like huge if true, do you know? It's, 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 yeah, it's a big shout. Um, so that's kind of the bit I find really interesting about this because obviously, like, Rani, you're the expert and I'm just a a blow-in when it comes to US patent stuff. Um, but I mean, I know there is this big, like, sort of very big existential thing about the American Vents Act, the, the direction the US patent system is going in. Um, I know the thing that comes up when I talk about SEPs to people all the time is like in America, you can't get injunctions and so on. And I think there seems to be the sense that US patentees have, you know, they, they want their patent system back. And, you know, now one of their biggest sort of advocates um, on the federal circuit is, you know, there, there's a push to try and get her off the bench. And, you know, it, I, I think it's kind of, it's kind of got a, a lot of people fired up um, on that basis as well. 
So, yeah, it, it's both a personal thing for George Newman, and then it's also a much bigger thing than that. Um, so I it's not ready for me to say what she should do, but that's kind of what I find interesting about it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there's also a question around at, at what age would she retire, if, if not now? I mean, I'm not suggesting she should do, but 95, you, you know, you'd like to... I mean, most people, obviously, in any walk of life, probably would have been retired by then anyway, but... Um, I mean, I don't know how how much longer she was continuing to go on for. Is it another two years, another five years? So, um, but just I suppose lastly, on that on that claim that Rory was discussing there, Rani, about um, Newman being the only person who apparently cares about the patent system. Obviously, she's so well known for dissenting. I think she's probably issued hundreds of dissents over the years, which is obviously very interesting. Um, but do you? Have you heard that sense from other people that she is the only person that sticks up for patents? Yeah, I mean, I think that people felt like it wasn't quite fair to say she's the only one who cares about the patent system just because other federal circuit judges are very well informed. A lot of them come from patent backgrounds themselves or, you know, are, are interested in it. But I do think that, like, there's a sense, yeah, she is, like, definitely, uh, maybe she might be the most, like, um, pro-patentee judge in a way. And so there is uh, there is definitely that uh, sentiment and I think that is like yeah as Roy uh, rightly said I think a big part of the reason why this is uh, such a big story and why this is so why people are so fired up about this why this is so emotional for um, you know a lot of people not, not to say that's the only reason but that I think that definitely uh, plays plays into it yeah absolutely okay great well as ever the time on the podcast has come uh, to a swift end faster than we probably thought so we tried to pack in as much as we could today and I'm sure there'll be lots more to discuss next time particularly on Frand which is which is a fairly fast developing story particularly in Europe so um, so that's it for today just a reminder that you can search for us IP Lounge on your favourite podcast platform and of course everything you hear about today can be read in more detail at managingip.com to follow how all these stories develop in the months ahead be sure to log on to managingip.com or subscribe to the podcast it's free and there's a new episode every month See you next time. Thanks all.